choose to use it. Uh, this was the basis of this film called Click by Adam Sandler. Um, I won't pass judgment on the film, but let me explain to you a little bit of what happens. He finds this universal remote, which does exactly that. It controls the universe. And it's fascinating to see what happens because as life goes on and he faces a, a variety of circumstances and situations, he uses this remote more and more, either to rewind things back or to fast forward things to get further on down in his life. I won't tell you any more. If you like Adam Sandler films, I'll let you watch it. If not, don't worry, you don't need to know much more than this. It's fascinating to see how he views his life. And it links a little bit with what we're thinking about tonight in this question of ours, this response. If only my life was different. See, in all the different responses that came in to our survey, we found that for a number of people, uh, their answer came out of a real kind of discontent or dissatisfaction with their present circumstances. Uh, it wasn't just that people wanted more, although there were quite a few of that, and Liam's going to talk about that a lot more next week. But we also noticed for some people that they really wanted out of a situation they were in, and they desired to be in a different one, a better one. And it was really revealing. We had responses like this, if only I was in the job I wanted to be in. If only my children would do as they're told. If only the benefit system would be changed. If only I could quit everything and just go traveling. See, I wonder if you've ever said it. If only my life was different. Or I wonder if you've at least ever been tempted to say it. I don't know whether it's the six-year-old who wishes they could retire, but they have to work for longer. The 35-year-old who wishes they were married and had children by now, but life has just not worked out that way. Whether it's the addict who can't break that cycle of addiction, whether it's the teenager who feels the pressure from the parents to come top of the class and go to the best university, whether it's the widow who feels lonely, whether it's the person who carries all this regret and shame and baggage that they just want free of. I wonder if you've ever been tempted to say it. See, whether it's that kind of permanent state of emotion or whether it's a passing uh, moment, it can sometimes creep into our minds, can't it? Uh, my wife and I have just had a little baby girl five weeks ago, uh, and it's great, and she's bringing a lot of joy to our lives. Uh, but even still, in amongst all of that, just the other day, we had this one day where it honestly felt like she cried the entire day. Um, mixed to it, then we have a two-and-a-half-year-old cheeky rascal who was just being so naughty and drove us up the wall. And I must confess, halfway through the day, I thought, oh, my word, if only life was different. I'm sorry. And, of course, I was probably just wanting to go back to life with the two of us, but I do love my children, I promise. Um, but we have this. Sometimes we want to go back and change things and wish we could go back in time. And other times we just want to go through something and fast-forward it. It all creeps in. This statement, this, this feeling, this desire for a different life than the one we're currently living, it seems to creep into our hearts. We long for something to change. But I wonder where it comes from. You, you might say, listen, Dave, it's just the way life goes. <laughs> it is life, and you kind of, it's up to you moment by moment how you choose to live it. 
And that's a very pragmatic view, and, and, and that might work for you, but I'm just not too sure that's the reality for a lot of people. A study was conducted in 2015 titled The UK Optimism Audit. They surveyed about 2,000 people, um, and they asked them questions about their lives. And do you know what was so interesting? The survey revealed that 69% of people felt trapped in the same old routine of life. One in three felt unhappy with their lives. In, in some of the top 20 responses of things that were kind of uh, really worrying people in Britain, you had things like uh, job worries, money worries, dead-end relationships, unfulfilling jobs, fear over aging, anxiety over image. And just there in February of this year, uh, the Prince's Trust, they did a review, they do their annual UK youth index, and they found from the 2000 youth between 16 to 25, they call it, that they surveyed, half were feeling anxious about the future. 40%, 46% in fact, said that when they were looking at their friends on social media, it made them feel inadequate. See, where does this come from? Why do we often feel this way? Well, firstly, I think we're fed a line, aren't we, from companies or products or people that we, we have to experience more, we have to uh, have more success, and we need more pleasure in order to get the best life. And that's really what matters in life. We're kind of told from the voices around our culture. And just, do you know how that works out so often? It means our kind of, um, our leisure time is so often governed by this pursuit of pleasure, and our labor time, well, that's often just governed by this pursuit of success. That's why we work all these hours and feel the burden of it. We, we hear this sort of message that we've got to get up the ladder, and that's why we feel, again, that we've got to portray this image of ourselves via social media platforms that we are really living the best life. But what these surveys reveal is that that's not quite the reality for people. This pursuit often brings pressure. It often uh, helps, it doesn't help people and they don't think they're experiencing the best life, they think they're experiencing the worst of lives. That's why I think we feel this way. And then linked to all of this, of course, is now this obsession with the celebrity culture. This, this view we get of the rich and famous. That's why children grow up wanting to be pop stars and football players, because apparently what you see of them, that's the best life. That's how we get the most out of life. That's how you feel happy and successful if you've got what they've got. But you've got to hear what people who've actually experienced it experience. Listen to these words from Jim Carrey. He says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Russell Brand went as far as say this, celebrity is like being presented with a glorious meal. When you eat it, you realize that it's empty of nutrition, it's tasteless and tireless, it's like ashes in the mouth. And it doesn't take us long to see some of the sad tragic and timely deaths of some of celebrities in the last few years, whether that be Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Robin Williams, the, the DJ Avicii, people who've lost their lives, taken their lives. And it gives some sort of evidence towards maybe Russell Brand being right 
in his assessment. See, change doesn't always bring satisfaction. Uh, Achievement doesn't always bring happiness, and more doesn't always mean better. They say it. The culture is, and maybe you've experienced that. So what's going on? Why, why have we got this tension in our heart? Where does it come from? Why is this search and pursuit of contentment and satisfaction so hard to find? And what is going on? Well, as our kind of survey suggests, whenever we are seeking satisfaction, there is so often a little if only in the background. The video suggested that as well, didn't it? What I mean is this, right? Next time you feel, I don't know, a bit irritated, you're a bit low, you're a bit grumpy. If you don't know when you're grumpy, I'm sure your friend or your spouse will gladly tell you when you are. Next time you feel that way, just stop and ask yourself the question. What am I saying to myself would make me happy right now if only I had it? See, the the danger behind that if only is that it does start as a good thing that potentially could help us, but it quickly spirals and becomes an ultimate thing, a thing that we desire. And you know what that ends up doing? It ends up enslaving us. It's like chocolate-coated chains. We pursue it and we pursue it, and we're left enslaved. Theologian Timothy Keller puts it like this. Just as fire never says enough fuel, I'm fine now, similarly your hearts never say, I've had enough love, I've had enough money, approval, success. Rather, what starts to happen is that the more fuel you put into the fire, the hotter it burns. And the hotter it burns, the more fuel it requires. And there unfolds the cycle of always seeking satisfaction, but never feeling satisfied. Now, what I'm not saying right now is that seeking to live a fulfilled life and a content life is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. In fact, I do believe the Bible presents life as one to be lived in all its fullness. That's the way I believe God has created us and the way the Bible presents us, to know God and get the most out of life. What I'm suggesting, though, is the issue lies when we search for contentment in the wrong places. And maybe that's true for you tonight. I've quoted there a load of different stats and and celebrity quotes. But the reality is in a room this size, with the amount of people in here right now, there will be some of us that are just feeling the worst of life. The brokenness of our world, the dissatisfaction of the circumstances. It will be true for many in this room and for many in Edinburgh right now. And what I think our surveys reveal is you're not alone. And more than that, do you know what I think all of this reveals? It reveals that our hearts are needing something more than what the world can currently offer us. Our hearts are are longing for something that we cannot find on this world. Uh, Mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal once said this, What else does this longing and helplessness proclaim but that there was once in each person a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. We try to fill this in vain with everything around us yet none can change things because this infinite abyss can only be filled with something that is infinite 
and unchanging. In other words, by God himself. God alone is our true God, is our true good. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. See, however you're feeling this evening, firstly, can I say thank you so much for being here. But can I also say there is hope. At the heart of the Christian faith is a man called Jesus Christ. The Bible presents him as God's son come down to earth. And the way it describes Jesus is someone who brings good news. In fact, he is good news. Listen to the way Mark in his account of Jesus' life. You'll see some other accounts, Matthew's account and then a New Testament. You're welcome to take that away and have a read of it. Mark, in his account of Jesus' life, he opens it by saying this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, if you've never considered Christianity before, that might take you a bit by surprise. Depending on your upbringing and your experience of it, you might think Christianity is anything but good news. But this is what it claims about itself, that it is a message of good news. And to be honest with you, having just taken a snapshot of our culture, if it's true, it's might well, we might as well have a little look at it, hadn't we? And it might be worth investigating. If you were to pick up a gospel at some point and have a read of it, what you discover is Jesus walks through various towns and villages, and do you know what? He meets a variety of different people. All different walks of life, facing all different situations and circumstances. The rich, the poor, the broken, the whole, the, the religious, the non-religious, a whole range of different people. And do you know what he often comes up against? Many different people who could probably relate to that statement, if only my life was different. And to zero in on one just for a moment comes in John's Gospel, chapter 4. You find in it Jesus meeting a woman who is at a well in the middle of the town. But she's out of place. She's in the midday sun on her own doing this heavy lifting work. And the reason why she's there is because she lives in a cloud of shame within her community. She dare not go in the evening where all the other local women are. Why? Because she has lived a life of trying to go from man to man to man seeking some sort of satisfaction but what has come of it is loneliness friendlessness and restlessness and it would be fair to say for this woman she would probably say something like this if only my life was different but Jesus knows her situation and he wants to do more than just relate to her he wants to transform her he sees her daily trip to the well as something that really just sums up her problem with life. See, every day she goes to the well, she then fills up her bell, she goes back home, and it empties. And then she's got to go back, and she's got to do it all over again. And it's a picture, really, of, of her life. It's a picture of ours. We can never be completely satisfied by anything. We long for this satisfaction, but we're looking for it in the wrong place. We long for the contentment, but we're looking for it in the wrong place. So what does Jesus do? Well, in verse 13, he makes her an offer, an offer of a gift. Here it is. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal 
life. This water, it's a living water. It's a metaphor for a relationship with God. God, the fountain of life. The God, the Bible says, who made us and made us to know him and enjoy him. He is making her an offer right now. She's been looking for satisfaction in all these different human relationships, but what she deeply needs is a relationship with God. And that is what Jesus is offering her. And it's what he's offering us. See, whether it's relationships, hobbies, bank balances, interests, whatever it might be, if we look for that thing to bring us that satisfaction, it'll always result in the same thing. But I put it to you, the solution is always the same thing. There's only one solution, and it's a relationship with God. The relationship with God that our hearts desperately need and here we have Jesus saying, it's me. I'm offering that to you right now. It is possible through me. C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford University, a self-confessed skeptic who then turned to Christianity. He had this kind of real intense longing for happiness. And he eventually wound up saying this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into water. If you want joy, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. That's Jesus. He knows your situation. He knows your circumstances right now. He cares deeply for you and he's making you an offer, an offer that only God himself can make you. Genuine peace and contentment in your life. Oh, to know that. Real, deep-seated joy through the ups and downs and the throes of life. See, through him, he says, you will never thirst for this contentment and this satisfaction in the same way. He promises, he promises to satisfy that. Even when we find it hard to believe for ourselves. And when we trust in him and we start to receive this, look what it results in, look what it leads to. It springs up, it says, the spring of water. What does it well up to? It wells up to eternal life. An eternity, a life with God forever. Where? In a place of complete and upper happiness, of total satisfaction, of great contentment. See, as, as long as we live on this earth, we're going to experience it in some kind of broken form. We just are. And as human beings, we got warts and alls, we got the Jekyll and Hyde within us, and that's the reality. But look what he's saying is the end result for those who trust in Christ. Eventually, we go to an eternal life. And do you know what this eternal life is like? It's an unbroken world. It's a satisfying place where all the shame and the regret of our life is cast away, where all the mess and the different things that we face each day are gone. This is the eternal life that Jesus promises. This is what he says we were designed to know and experience and enjoy. And it starts in Jesus now and it leads with Jesus forever. But maybe you're here and you think, sounds good, um, but, but not for me. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. I, I kind of, I'm living a pretty good life and I, I, can't, I can't quite see the relevance of Jesus to my life right now. Um, can, I, can I gently and respectfully just challenge you by saying that won't always be the case. Jesus, 
says that eternal life is available for those who trust and believe in him. And see, the Bible explains that a day comes when as we die, if we don't know God, we will go to a place where he doesn't exist. And that place is a place with no joy and with no peace. And you know what? When you get there, no matter how much you want your life to be different at that point, it will be too late. And I don't say that with any pleasure whatsoever, and I don't pass judgment on you in saying that. But what I'm trying to say to you is, look what the Bible is saying, and look what Christianity is claiming here. This is why Christians bang on about Jesus all the time, because this is serious stuff, and it is life-changing stuff. And if you want to know this is true, let me Let me help you understand just how far Jesus went to help us understand this. How far he went to make this possible. See, again, if you were to pick up one of these gospels and you started reading through it and you got right to the end of the gospel, what you find is Jesus, at around the age of 33, standing in front of this kind uh, um, kind of high court judge. And although they couldn't find any fault in his life, he gets sentenced to death by crucifixion but he was willing to do it. The Bible says it was actually part of the plan. See, in all those times we've, we've sought to find that fulfillment, purpose, meaning in the things of this world, do you know what we've done? It, effectively, we've kind of stuck two fingers up a God uh, and his entire design for life. And as in the case of most things, there must be some consequences for our actions, the Bible says that's true again of this situation. Yet the story of Jesus is a good news story. Why? Because he came down in order to take the consequences and face a punishment for us. As he died on the cross, he was actually doing that for us so that we don't have to, the Bible says. And then because he was God in human flesh, he rose again. Three days later. And it's through that act we actually see that he was who he says he was. That what he offers us could possibly be true. And there's life after death. He paves the way and he makes it possible for us. He did this, Jesus did this, to show you how far he wants to go to help you come back into relationship with God. He did all of this to restore your life now and secure for you a future life with God in heaven forever, having the best time ever. See, our unfulfilled longings for satisfaction, for contentment, for whatever it is, do you know what, they're they're all pointing to something beyond this world. They're all pointing to God himself. And in Jesus, we find a way to come to know that God and to experience the freedom and the joy and the peace that comes with a relationship with Jesus. There's a story of a time where Abraham Lincoln was walking through a town and he heard a lot of noise coming from one of the corners of the town of the square. He looks over and he sees a big group of men, walks a bit closer, and there in the middle is a young girl being sold as a slave, naked and crying. His heart breaks. He thinks, I've got to do something about this. So as the bids start to come in, he starts to bid. Another one goes in, he goes higher. Another one goes, he goes higher. And eventually the person says, sold to that man over there. And with that, the crowd split. 
And Abraham Lincoln stands there and he walks up to this girl and he takes his coat off and he puts it over her. And he says, young girl, you are free. She looks at him. She says, what do you mean? He says, you're free. You can go. She says, what does does that mean? Can can I go wherever I want to go? He says, you're free. You can go. She says, can I I say whatever I want to say? You're free. You can go. She says, can I be with whoever I want to be with? He says, young girl, you are free. You can go. And with that, tears roll down her eyes, and she looks at him, and she says, well, I choose to go with you. See, when we understand how far God has gone for us, how much he loves you, all that he has done, and you understand the offer he's making you of freedom from the throes of this life and the culture that we're in to a place of peace now and everlasting life, will you choose to go with him tonight? I want to encourage you to do so. I want to urge you to look into it. I want to to just ask you to look into this and ask questions of it because if it is the good news that it claims, boy, it's a message for our world right now. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening. I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's challenged us all to think about the if-onies of our life. I hope it's been helpful to see, actually, this is the offer that Christianity makes an offer that nothing else in this world can offer us. Why don't you, just for a few minutes before we close officially for the evening, just have a discussion again with the people around you if you're happy to do so. Think about this question. Could Jesus be the solution to the if only of your life? Could Jesus be the solution to the if only of your life? Have a chat and we'll close our evening together shortly.